Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Thanks for coming along for another episode of Legends of the Spire. Great to have you with us. Uh, 2023 seems to be rattling along at some pace already. And I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far that we've had with Scott Loach and Colin Larkin. Today I speak to my second goalkeeper of the year already, uh, as I spoke to Billy Stewart. Now, Billy only had a very, very short spell with us at Chesterfield in 1995, joining us in March and staying through to the end of that season on loan. Um, he joined as a bit of an injury replacement, really, for uh, Andy Beasley, but in his two-and-a-bit appearances for Chesterfield, uh, he took part in a game that extended a, a club history beating record run, uh, a game which was one of the most exciting in Chesterfield's entire history, and then also a playoff final at Wembley. So he didn't do too badly out of it. Um, he uh, spoke to us about his whole career, he had long spells at clubs like Chester, and then as a coach he's been uh, at places like Liverpool, where he's worked with every age category that the club has. Uh, so it was good to talk about goalkeeping in general, but also obviously that spell at Chesterfield in that long unbeaten run uh, that took us very close to automatic promotion, uh, but ended up with a Wembley win and that playoff semi-final against Mansfield, which was just so incredible. Uh, as always, I'm at Spire Legends on Twitter and Instagram and Legends of the, uh, Legends of the Spire on Facebook. Uh, so it'd be great to hear what you think. Uh, but for now, here we are with the latest episode with Billy Stewart. To be honest, I was only going there for one game. Uh, like, and and that was lucky, you know. I was going to go there. I mean, I was on North, from Northampton at the time, and uh, I was having probably the worst season I'd had. Um, Barry Richardson was the local local hero, schoolboy there. All his mates used to stand behind the goal. Uh, Barry leaves, I join, and um, uh, we didn't have the biggest team. I got asked to kick the ball wide, and most of my kicks were out of play. It'd have been great if it was rugby. You know, I mean, uh, but we, we didn't we didn't do very well, and in the end, I ended up um, coming on lo loan to Chesterfield, and you know, from from being a season that wasn't a great one to remember, it worked out as probably the most memorable season I've ever had. Kind of growing up then as a kid, yeah, Liverpool. Uh, what was it? Yeah. What was what was it like for you? How did it all start? Oh. Um, I went in goal by mistake. I used to be a centre-half and my dad used to run a team and play for the school team at centre-half and always an outfield player. And then I played for a team called um, Oak Albion, which was uh, on Norris Green on the Orient Avenue. And uh, I was playing centre-half and uh, our goalie never turned up for a game. So I went in goal and I did, did really well, you know. Um, and then he never turned up again, and I stayed in goal again. And in the end, uh, I ended up playing in goal on a on a Sunday, uh, on Sunday mornings. I ended up playing outfield centre half for the school and for Castlefield on a Saturday. So it was three games of a weekend. And then, um, as I got to fourteen, uh, I was still playing outfield, and I was still playing in goal and. We used to, um, I, I, I moved teams, I signed for a team called Roma, which <laughs> run from the same pub, but that stood for the Royal Oak, Muirhead Avenue, rather than Oak <laughs> Albion, you know. So 
they, they're really, really good, good side Roma. Um, good teams. I ended up playing open age football when I was 14 for them. Um, and we had some real characters there. And then at the same time, uh, some of the scouts from Liverpool came, a, a scout called uh, Mal Bates. Um, and there was, a, there was some really talented players playing Sunday football for some of the teams. And uh, we had a good team and they took the whole of the team uh, to play against the Liverpool side, an under-14 side, and I think we beat them. Um, so they signed a few of us on. And it, it spread then from being at, just at Liverpool, training two evenings a week on a Tuesday, Thursday. I ended up then at Liverpool City team as well. So that would be on a Monday and Wednesday. And no goalkeeping coaching off anyone, uh, apart from Barry Whitbread, who was one of the coaches at, at Liverpool Schoolboys. And he started training me in goal. And I, I found I got better and better, you know. Um, and so... That became my position as I got to 16. Uh, Liverpool offered me a scholarship. Uh, turned pro there when I was 18, did a year's pro. And then um, there was a lot of competition in front of me, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Ray Clements was there when I signed. He left. Bruce Grobler came. Uh, Steve Grizovic, uh, Bob Boulder, who was at Charlton, and Bob Wardle, who came from Shrewsbury. Um, so the, this was all the competition that was in front of me. And at the time, it, it was different. You had an A and a B team mm. and a reserve team. So when I signed for Liverpool, I was in the B team at 16. And then by the time I'd finished, I was in the A team. And then there was no way of me progressing. There was sort of like the, the keepers who were in front of me were deservedly in front of me, you know. And uh, Liverpool were flying high. We'd won the European Cup, the first team were were amazing at the time, you know. And um be, because they were so good, I, I would have had to be good enough to play for Liverpool first team and to be good enough to play in goal, you know, in Europe. And yeah. at the time that, that wasn't the case, you know. So uh Tom Saunders recommended me to Wigan and uh had two seasons at Wigan, one under Harry McNally who I ended up being um with for quite a few so years. You followed him, didn't you? Yeah, to Chester. So I followed him to Chester, and um, Brian Hamilton was manager for the other season. Uh, so, so some great experiences, you know. And, uh, and I you must be... have you must have been playing uh, like in training and stuff like that. You must have been facing some stellar talent as well. I imagine at Liverpool, okay. unbelievable talent. You know, I mean, you had Alan Hansen. Uh, Kenny Daglish, Ian Rush, uh, Graham Souness, Mark Lawrenson, uh, just keep going on and on with the fantastic players, you know. And um, uh, and and I got to say, Bruce Grobler was amazing. What a guy! He he really really looked after me, you know. Um, when I was there, and because I was a goalkeeper, you you picked generally picked the players with the same size feet, so you could clean the boots or. <laughs> You picked the players uh, that the, the, who, who were in your position, you know. So I had all the goalkeepers. I had um, I, I had Bob Wardle. Uh, Bob Bob Boulder had left when Bob Wardle came, and I had Steve Grizovic, uh, Bruce, and uh, I used to wash the kits. Now, Oggy was like Steve Grizovic. Oggy, wow, he was an absolute giant, mm. and um, he, you know he he he, he was like. Really, really top fella, and um, but 
I had to wash his kit because the kit only got washed once a week. So <laughs> you can imagine um, by the end of the week, it got you, you, you put it in the laundry room. You washed it, you, you never washed it unless uh, it, it, you just hung it up over these drying racks. Anyway, Oggy used to wear a thing called a cat suit and it was like an all in one suit. And when he got wet, or when he'd been diving around in it, it used to weigh about, um, oh, I could just about carry it, and you'd drag <laughs> it along the corridor, you know, <laughs> like it like it was a body inside it, and you'd drag it along. You'd wash it, he'd make me wash it, so I had to hand wash it, wash it every, every single time he'd worn it, wrung it out, took ages, and then you'd put it in the drying room, and it would drip dry, and if you were lucky, it was dry for the next day, so I did all this for him, <laughs> um, and I kept doing it, and anyway... We we get to Christmas and that that's another reason why you you know hopefully you're looking for a pair of boots off one of the players yeah, in yeah. your position or the something present. anyway. Suey Graham Sooners to give his boot boy hundred quid and about three pairs of boots and that was a lot of money going back then. Uh, Brucey had looked after me with gloves and give me some money and then uh, Bob Ward will give me. 20 quid I was made up for you, you know, I was thinking, wow, I'm doing okay. So I'm thinking, right, Oggy's going to look after me. He has to look after me. Right. So I've gone to see him, you know, and he's called me and he said, you've been brilliant for me. He said, you've done fantastic washing my kit and looking after me. He said, um, he said, here you go. Merry Christmas. And he puts, goes like that with his hand, puts his hand out and it's four quid. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Four quid, right? Oh my god, I give him the four quid back. <laughs> you know, I just said, No, you're all right, Oggy. It's all right, don't worry. <laughs> but like to this day, I never ever ever forget that. You know, four quid is brilliant. As a youth player, as a goalkeeper, you've obviously do you just did you just have that thing where you were kind of happy throwing yourself at anyone's boot and stuff like that? How do you kind of get into yeah, it's uh. It's it's strange. I mean, I, I just seem to, as I got a little bit older, I just seem to. Uh, I used to be outstanding as a when I was twelve and thirteen as an outfield player, but I was still over six foot then. So mm-hmm. physically, I was a lot more developed than um, a lot of the like players my age. And to be honest, that size, I think at the time was was a big asset when you're playing at the back and you're playing outfield and as a centre half and um that 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 really helped me. Uh but I think the outfield players uh, caught up with me. And as as the outfield players caught up with me, it just seemed natural when I when I went in goal that I could throw myself around, didn't hurt myself. I was decent with my feet. Um I took up good positional play because of the outfield position, you, you, you know, playing at the back. And um, it was just something I was a little bit special at, you know, for for for, for me, and that, for, for me age, you know, and I, I was just an average outfield player. But, you, you know, there was something that was a little bit, a little bit better for me, you, you know, as a, as a goalkeeper. So I just made that my position, to be honest. Yeah. And and when you went, so like you say, you you were at Wigan for a bit, weren't you? Uh, and then you followed Harry McNally to Chester, which you were at Chester for like what eight years or something like that, yeah, like mid eighties to mid nineties. Yeah, eight years left because uh, I had an injury, uh, did I had a cruciate injury, and then 
moved on and moved to um, I, I had a year in Northampton, and then I went back after that year back to Chester for uh, for another year and did had nine seasons in total at Chester. Mm. You know, had some fantastic times and great memories there. Had, had some good times at Wigan as well, and that was a uh, where it made me senior debut at Wigan. You know, so so that that's that'll always be special for me. And the first real coaching I got was off uh, Roy Tunks. Um, you know, so so I'm getting to to 19, no goalkeeping coaching. Roy was the number one at Wigan and uh, took me under his wing, you know. Um, ended up playing in the... My, my debut into, profe- into senior football was against Wrexham and it was in the uh, auto windscreen. Trophy. I think it was even no. Sorry, it wasn't. It was in the shape of Van Trophy. It was. <laughs> so a great name for a trophy. Going, yeah, the shape of Van, and we actually ended up getting to to the final and winning it. And Roy played at Wembley, you know. And uh, at the time, you won a, you won a shape of Van. So we ended up with a brand new minibus because we won it. And um, I remember being with Roy, a room with Roy, and uh, he he was fantastic to me. Roy he looked after me, but. I was devastated because we're at Wembley and me and Roy had got up in the morning and we'd gone and had a game of head tennis in the car park and just did whatever it was to make him feel, you know, special that day. Mm. And um, we get there, it gets closer to three o'clock and he's still hoping that you'll play, you know. Uh, And I'll never forget his words because he said to me, he said, I've waited, he said, all my life, because he was coming to the end of his career, Roy, he said, I've waited all my life to play at Wembley. He said, nah, your chance will come one day, you know? And uh, many years later, it did, you yeah. know? A couple and, of times. And when you were at Chester, so I, I read, whether this is right or not, uh, Wikipedia and all that, uh, that you had a run of 124 consecutive games. Yeah, yeah. Which is a hell of a, it's a yeah. hell of a amount of games, in it? To yeah. Well, it only come to an end because I got sent off. For yeah, I didn't want to mention that bit. Yeah, no, <laughs> you mentioned it. I think I think it was uh, I was either three or five games away from the record, and um, I only got sent off twice in my career, and I think it was twice anyway, or th- maybe three times. And I got sent off by three. I think it was three. Jim Parker sent me off. Uh, it was uh, away at Brad at Bradford. You know, and he he sent me off for the professional foul. It was the first season it came in, and um, and and the centre forward was running away from the goal. Normally, it's a yellow card, and I've come charging out the area, and then missed time to tackle red card. Three games short of the record, I think, and then I think I ended up missing it by by one by the time the suspension came through, and then I got sent off later on again in my career and same referee Jim Parker so you know you're thinking like oh yeah well there's something <laughs> we got something in common here and then the, the next time I left left the pitch was a uh, I, I I had a collision with Cab Francis at the Diva Stadium you know the first opening game of that and um I ended up stretching off so so Jim Jim's officiated like three of the games that I've been in where I've ended up leaving the pitch, right? And and to be fair, uh, on the last one, I ended up with a big big basket of fruit. He sent a big basket of fruit to the hospital for me, <laughs> which was uh, really nice. And I, I spoke to Jim quite a few times, and we've had a few good laughs, you know? 
over it since then. But he, he was a he was a firm but good referee, Jim. Brentford made the game safe four minutes from the end in strange circumstances. Blissett appeared to hesitate as the ball entered the penalty area. Stewart went for the ball, but only managed to sit down for a penalty. Stewart was sent off for his action, and Dean Holdsworth went on to convert the only penalty that Brentford were awarded at Griffin Park throughout the whole of the season. It was Dean's 30th goal of the season. Amazing. And you ended up playing, what, like nearly 300 games or something, didn't you, for them? Uh, for yeah, yeah, uh, I did, yeah. If you include League and Cup games, it was it was probably round about um, about 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 300, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I must admit, there was some great experiences, some highs, some lows, some great memories. Uh, you, you know, and I've been lucky enough to be liked by the supporters because I think I was always brave and did my best and look we were never always the best team we had some good promotion seasons and we had some seasons where we got relegated but I was always honest and always you know if I'd had a bad game the game before I'd always done okay mm. you, you know and, and been there for the next game and had a couple of 10 out of 10s in the paper you know, in the Daily Mail, which, uh, you know, uh, which was nice. But I also had a few games where the manager blamed me for all five goals. We went away to Aldershot uh, and we lost the game 5-0. And uh, and again, that's another thing that sticks out in your memory. Like the Aldershot supporters never even celebrated the fifth goal. They just laughed. So I was getting a chipped from the halfway line. This is going back how long ago. I don't know whether you'd ever remember Quasar Boots. <laughs> no. Right. There's a pair of so going back how long ago. And they had about a million studs. They were like the first boots ever to have like loads and loads of studs in the bottom. Anyway. Uh the fifth goal I, I got like chipped from the um, halfway line and I could have fell over, stood up, chested the ball back down or controlled it, but I tried to stay on my feet and I'm going further and further backwards. And as I've gone backwards, I ended up lying on the six-yard box with my hand up like that and the ball's gone in just over the tip of my fingers. And, the, the like, the older shot supporters just laughed. You know, the, like, they never even cheered. They just all fell about laughing and I had to go and get the ball out the back of the net. And, um, anyway, Addy was, was prone to, like... Um, like throw tantrums and wobblers, you know, in the changing room. So, of course, that last goal never went down too well. So, because of that one, I got the blame for all five, you know. Oh, crikey. Well, it would be a goalkeeper. Yeah, you've got to keep going. <laughs> yeah, you've got to keep going, haven't you? To, you know, you need um, you need broad shoulders. And if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I'm still here to tell the tale. You had that spell at Northampton, and then you end up coming to Chesterfield. I think it was like March... 95, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, but, but before I got there, uh, and this is one that a lot of Chesterfield supporters will remember, Chester City were playing Chesterfield and we were both struggling near the bottom of the league hmm. and Chesterfield were winning 1-0 and I think it was about two games to go. And this was a six-pointer. If ever there was a six-pointer. And I was right in front of the the fans at the home end and 
I was got so much abuse through that half, right? Which, or friendly banter, I'll say, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're losing the game 1-0 and we scored two goals in the last five minutes and we won 2-1 and I turned round and I went. <laughs> oh, my word. I, I was so glad at the time that there were railings up because when I did that, when the final whistle went, if... Any of the fans would have got on the pitch. I uh, that would have been um, the end of me because they went absolutely crazy, and all the players surrounded me. Um, the the police, uh, the police come on the pitch. They marched me off, and I ended up getting a caution. Uh, so, so that was that 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 was my last experience of being at Chesterfield until. Uh, I ended up coming there on loan from Northampton. <laughs> so when I turned up on the pitch, and I, I know like Kev Kev Randall did fantastic to get me there, I was really really nervous, probably more nervous than I'd ever been because I know what I'd done wasn't right. I know I'd upset a lot of people that day, um, you know, and I'll apologise to everybody now for doing that, um, but. I knew uh, I had to to make up for it. I knew there was lots of records, and knew it was un, the most unbeaten run that mm. the the club had been on. It was it was going to equal the unbeaten run record uh, of clean sheets and, and clean sheets. So there was a lot of pressure on me, and I remember warming up, and there was a lot of voices going, "Hey, Stuart." Don't think we've forgot what you did. You better have a good game here. You don't keep a clean sheet. You're in trouble. You've got nowhere to. And I'm thinking, oh wow. And it was against Wigan. It was against one of my old teams. Yeah. So yeah. So I was luck would have it. And I remember it like yesterday. To be honest, I made a couple of saves and took a couple of crosses, and we ended up winning. Kept a clean sheet, and we won. And I was living in Northampton at the time, but my house was in a place called Skemmersdale, which is just outside Wigan. Mm-hmm. And um, I jumped, I asked Wigan, could I have a lift back on the coach with him? And I didn't have a car at the time. <laughs> so I was struggling. We, we had a house in Northampton and we had the house in 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 Skemmersdale to keep going. I had two young kids at the time. And um, so I've jumped back to, on, the, on the coach and Wigan being Wigan and the directors, they bought me fish and chips. They looked after me. He said, I don't know. <laughs> You know, you've you've uh, you kept a clean sheet. You could have led a goal and been a, an ex player. So anyway, I get get on the coach with them and we're driving home and and he said, uh, "How how come you you know you're not in your car?" I said, "I haven't got one." I said, "I've got rid of mine. I can't afford a car at the moment." I said, "Struggling to keep two houses going and you, you know although one the club were paying for one." They weren't paying any of the bills and I wasn't on great money, so mm. I had to keep everything going. So um so one of the directors, Reg had a, had a uh, sorry, had a garage. Uh is a, he had he had a um a car garage and he said to me, I've got some nice cars here, you know. And I went, um, Oh, I don't think I can afford any at the moment. He goes, Listen. He said, I've got this fantastic car. And he said, it's a Peugeot. He said, it's worth about £1,500. I've just took it in part exchange. He said, you can have it. He said, for £800. He said, honestly. 
He said, it's an absolute dream. It's a fantastic car. He said, come and see me Monday. So I went, okay, yeah, fantastic. So I go in Monday and I've got no money. I've got nothing at all. And he goes, go on, there's the car. He said, take it for a drive. So drive it around, had a little go of it. Fantastic car. And I've gone, wow. I said, that's amazing. So he goes, right. He says, you want it? It's yours. He says, 200 pound deposit. He said, and, you know, we'll, we'll do a little finance thing for you. I said, oh, I've got 200. He goes, well, you can't have it. I said, well, you said it was worth 1500. Just say I put 700 down for you. <laughs> so in the end, he goes, I don't know. He said, you kept a clean sheet. We'd give you fish and chips. We'd give you a lift <laughs> back on the bus. He said, and you're still at it. So in all fairness to him, like he, he did a deal with me and he let me have the car, you know. So forever <laughs> great, forever grateful for that, you know, at times when you need it. So um and, and then that allowed me to get into Chesterfield when when needed. And I even trained, I did um because I wasn't at Northampton, uh, uh, Wigan let me go in and train with them a couple of days a week as well. So that was really important that mm. you, you know, when I wasn't at Chesterfield, um you, you, you know, grateful to Wigan for everything they did for me, you know. And here's Morris. Trying to tee someone else up. And it's surely a goal. It's to be. And Chesterfield are on their way to Beverly. Jonathan Howard, two for him, five for Chesterfield. And they can start looking their tickets and their tricks. So you were joining, like say, Chesterfield on a great run, and and you come in, keep your clean sheet at that Wigan, and uh, and it's what's it like, kind of settling into that new team, and obviously it was you and um, kind of Andy Beasley, wasn't it? Well, I was only in the team because Andy Beasley wasn't well, you mm. know, and that was the only reason I was gonna, I was coming there as cover for Andy. Um, I was under, you, you know, there, there was. I knew that from from the day I I came to Chesterfield. Andy was number one. He'd done amazing, uh, and I was there to support him, you know. And and that was my role. And then uh, he was unlucky enough to be ill. I think it. I think he had the flu pretty bad. So I got thrown in at the, you know, at the deep end and um, knew of the knew of some of the players, knew of the team, knew how they were doing. But you don't realise what a great set of players that John Duncan had put together mm. you know they were a fantastic squad um, and it wasn't until you see how disciplined how organised um, everything John was like uh, immaculate every last detail there was nothing out of place so when you're going into a game you knew your job you knew your role you knew mm. what was expected of you Um uh, and that made it really, really easy to fit into, you, you know, you're coming into a squad of players that's flying and doing really well. So it really helped. Yeah. And like I say, that season is probably well known for going on that big unbeaten run. And then David Reeves, who becomes a Chesterfield legend, kind of ruins the party uh, with Carlisle, doesn't he? But, but then kind of means that we end up having one of the most memorable games in Chesterfield history against Mansfield which David yeah. Reeves has been on the podcast and kind of takes credit for the fact that we then had that great game against Mansfield, um, yeah. which you came on in that match, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, that 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 was one of the, you know, that 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 was a, 
a bittersweet moment, to be honest, because when, when you look at what happened to Bees, it was a terrible injury to him. And, you know, uh, he, he got his cheekbone broke. He was really brave. He was coming out and um, ended up colliding into one of our players' knees. And, um, you know, and what, what can you say? It was horrendous for him and all his hard work and everything that he'd done over the season, you, you know, I, I just come in and, you, you know, took, took the, um, took, took the, the easy bit really, if you like, you know, uh, all hard work had been done previously in all the other games and, and with the rest of the players. And I was really, really lucky. I know that when I came on uh, and you say, you know, I got on and the first, first thing that I, that I came on just before uh, extra time started and, uh, I've, I've come on cold, caught me cold and the ball, I was on the edge of my box and I got chipped and the ball was going into the middle of the goal and it, you know, when, if you if you look at it and you ever see it again, the ball's heading for the middle of the goal and I'm thinking, wow, we're out. You know, we're out, that, that's going in and, you know, everything of the, the Wigan game, the record, everything will all be forgotten about. It'll be me being back to like, you know, the bad guy for this, mm. for undoing the team, the players, everyone's hard work. And, you know, as it's gone over me and it's bounced on the six-yard box, it looks like it's hit, hit like a bit of a divot and the spin on the ball has took it just wide of the post. Wow. You know. And then um, we went on to extra time and we went on to, to you know, to win the game and fortunate enough to go to to go to Wembley and you, you know uh, although I'd loved every minute of it I do wish that Bees would have been there to you, you know to to be in goal and to uh, to get what he deserved really mm. I was going to say you what know? was your kind of because obviously the the feelings after that match great were at Wembley and you've had that cracking match like you say good old Saltergate pitch uh, <laughs> um, I suppose from your position was were your feelings a little bit Different at the end of the match, then obviously you're delighted that we're in the final, but obviously feeling for Andy. yeah, because it, it wasn't about me, you, you know. I mean, it, it wasn't about me, it was about bees then, mm. seeing how he was, and uh, it and I, I think everyone was the same, you know, everyone was delighted to be through, but everybody was gutted with you know, with Andy's injury, and um, you, you know, it was a horrific injury, mm. and uh. It, you know, I, the only thing you can say about it is that is that he was so brave, and everything he did, he helped get us to Wembley. You know, and, yeah. and uh, we've never been there only for us how we played in games before. Yeah, and then, like I say, then uh, you end up playing the Wembley final though, two um, 0 against Berry, uh, clean sheet. Yeah, clean sheet. Um, bees, bees looked after me. Uh, he, he was, you know, I stayed a few nights and stayed at his house, around his house before and before we travelled. And uh, you know, I, I can't thank him enough for that. How he looked after me, how he made me feel, and then um, we, you know, we we got to to Wembley. We spent the time there. The, the game was. Game was amazing, and I think you know. However, it is when you're there, your focus is on playing and doing well, and 
um, doing well for the team and and uh, trying to win the game. To be honest, and John Duncan, John Duncan, famously changed the formation, didn't he? Like on the yeah. morning of the match, <laughs> which yeah. a few players have spoken about in terms of yeah. him coming to the breakfast table and right, guys, <laughs> changing yeah. it all. No, he's brilliant. I mean, when when you look at, at again, I can't I can't say, you, you know, I I can't praise the man enough as a manager. You, you know, and Kev Kev with him as well. Uh, two of them together were fantastic. They really were. Yeah, and so what was it? So what was it like then getting your your chance at Wembley? It must have been it must have been great to to walk out and kind of get that uh, play that game. Yeah, I mean. You know, I was fortunate to be playing. I was lucky enough to be there. I remember the words Tungsi had said to me years before, you know, your chance will come, you'll get your opportunity one day. Mm. Uh, and I thought, well, this might be the only chance I ever get to be there, you know, so you better make it a good one. So, you know. And then it's still quite emotional because I thought we we played really well. I thought Barry started off quite strong um, and I, I remember having making a few good saves doing taking a few crosses they were very physical you know uh, Jim Stamp Pewey they, they had some really really good players and mm-hmm. I think they were favourites and I know at the end of the game uh, the manager come up to me and he said you you broke broke our, my heart he said because I told all our players that you couldn't catch, you couldn't kick a ball, <laughs> and you couldn't make a save. We've got nothing to beat here. He said, and you know what? He said, I wish I'd never have opened my mouth, you know? <laughs> so, but these things happen, don't they? You know? So, uh, yeah. so, but I, I I remember it. I still, I've watched it back a few times, the game since, you know? Um, I remember celebrating with these after the game and things like that. Uh, but, Again, I really, really, to this day, if that could have been Bees playing, you know, I'd, I'd have been really happy for for him, he, 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 for all his hard work and everything he did, you know. Yeah. So that's yeah, the goalkeepers' uh, union for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and, you, and look, right, that you gave him your medal. No, I was going to, but Brownie gave him his. Ah. So, yeah, so I was going to, and he just said, "Look," he said, "Look, I haven't played." You've played, he said. Name, he said. There you go. But I, I was going to give it to. Mm. I really was. Um, and and that's why I never. So, but I certainly deserved it, and I would have done. Stuart, it's an amazing turnaround that you're actually playing in this game. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought this at the start of the season, uh, especially being with Chesterfield as well. You are on loan from Northampton. That's right. Yeah. How's it come about that you're playing in this game? Uh, it was very unfortunate for Andy Beasley, really. He fractured his cheekbone in three places in the, in the, the last game. And it's his loss, like, and I feel very sorry for Andy, but I've just got to get on with the job now. How's the nerve ends going at the minute? It must be rapidly getting higher. Not too bad at the moment. Uh, I think more nervous waiting to find out whether it was playing or not. Now I know I'm playing, I can get my mind on the job and get on with that. Have you been to Wembley before? Yeah, about ten years ago with Wigan when they beat Brentford. In the Freight Rover Trophy. That's right, yeah. Successful there, yeah, we won that game. Just hope we can repeat it today. The goalkeepers' kind of camaraderie and uh, the relationship that you all have with each other. I suppose it has to be a strong bond, doesn't it? Because you've got that weird 
thing of competing for one place, but at the same time, you kind of want each other to do well. It's not like you sit in the stands wanting them to fumble it in the net, are you? You kind of want them to do well. Well, yeah, I agree because you te- the team, first and foremost, the team's got to win the game, right? Because, you know, I, I firmly believe that whatever team you're with, the most important thing is the team win the game. You've got the crowd who are paying you paying to come in. You've got the club that are paying your wages. And the only result that you can want is a win, you know, um, and to, to be successful with that club. Now, I never, ever wanted the goalkeeper that was playing in front of me to play bad. You, you have, um, you, you do have the goalkeeper's union, but sometimes the only way you get in is somebody has a run where it's not great. Yeah, somebody gets injured, or you you have a manager that that will always chop and change goalkeepers, you know, and and you also have that as well. And I think that is really hard to deal with as well. You know, a manager that will put you in, he'll change you, he'll put the other goalkeeper in, because then you don't get any consistency. And I think if you wish bad things on somebody when they play, then that comes back to you. You know, karma's karma's a big a big thing. So I think you've always got to support who's playing and your day will come, you know, Um, whatever team you're with, somebody may be more experienced, somebody may be playing better, somebody might get sent off, you know, and then you might get your chance and then it's up to you to take your chance. But to do it on the back of someone being injured or not playing well isn't, 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 isn't great for me, you know? Yeah. So it must be it must have been weird. You kind of ended up uh, winning the playoff final with Chestfield. I imagine there's a great party on the back of it, and then well, and then you you kind of leave a few days later, and that's it. Well, <laughs> you you couldn't be any further wrong than a great party. Oh, so no, so so um, apparently they'd been there and lost before, you know. So uh, the chairman had said, right, look, no party. When it's finished, right? We'll 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 celebrate on the bus. We'll mix it up. Your the wives, girlfriends, your children can all come back on the bus with you. Um, and what you do is you we'll go away on on holiday. That the lads that are at the squad can pick anywhere in the world they want to go and have a holiday. So there was no party after the game, and they said they changed it. Then they said, look, keeping the players on the bus. Wives, friends, kids, they go back on the bus they came on. So I said, well, season's finished. Um, no longer signed for you. So I ended up going back on the bus with me, uh, with my wife and, and kids, you know, um, and on one of the supporters' buses. So I'd been a party on the supporters' bus with them. But um, we never stayed over, never stayed in a hotel or anything like that. The buses came straight back, so... I must admit, we did have a good time on the bus. So. Yeah. Sometimes the best place for a party, isn't it, on the bus back? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. No, I must admit, it was good, and it was nice to be uh, with, you know, with with the supporters as well. So, yeah, brilliant. And then, kind of moving on uh, a little bit, you did actually win a, you won an FA trophy, is that right, with Southport? Uh, no, we got to the final. We lost oh, the oh, we, we lost the final. We know it's okay, but um, <laughs> we were like I was about twenty minutes away from keeping another clean sheet. I think they scored in about about twenty minutes to go. Uh, but 
fantastic memories for me there because I got presented. I was playing for the England semi-pro team um, and I got presented with my England cap by Gordon Banks before the game. So that was a, you know, that was a treasured memory. And I remember kissing his hand, you know, (laughs) Um, kissed his hand, uh, you know, that's a special memory for me there. Yeah. So we lost, we lost the game 1-0. Mr. Clapton, the chairman, did everything fantastic for us, took us down early, kept us over after the game. And although we lost the final, it was a massive achievement for Southport and for the town, mm-hmm. you know, for, for such a small town. And uh, he, he did amazing with it. We had an open top bus and everything going around Southport uh, after the game. And, you know, he, he really, really. Uh, Looked after me, uh, Mr. Clapton. I always used to call him Chairman. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I used to call him, and he, uh, I, I remember being there, and he used to say, "Right, there's no no drink on this coach, uh, no cards, right?" And, and I don't know what he was winding me up, but uh, when when we come back after games, he'd always come and sit at the back of the coach, uh, give us one of them drinks, have a drink, and then uh, <laughs> play cards. And he never ever lost, honestly. Never lost. He always cleaned everyone out. We'd only play for a for a couple of quid or a fiver or something, but you're guaranteed like money always goes to money, doesn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. what with, that's what happened with, with the Mr. Clapton with the chairman. <laughs> he always used to walk away with everyone's <laughs> money. <laughs> <laughs> so you ended up finally you ended up going into coaching, didn't you? So you've Yeah, coached. I started coaching at Southport. That was a um, first coaching role as a Player coach assigned there, and then, um, and then, yeah, went into coaching. Then after that, yeah, yeah. And is it right you did every age group at Liverpool? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had Joe Corrigan when when I was a uh, coach me at Chester um, as a, and he was fantastic. He was big influence on my style of playing on my goalkeeping, yeah. um, and he was a. He was doing a lot of coaching around the country and he managed to squeeze coming into Chester a couple of days a week. And then when they built the academy at Liverpool, they were two separate places. Um, the, the academy in Kirby and you had Melwood and Joe was the first team goalkeeping coach for Liverpool for the seniors. So I asked him, I was at, I was at uh, Lillishaw um, working with the World University, uh, Great Great Britain squad. We were going to uh, Belgrade to play uh, in the university games, and I was the goalkeeping coach. Um, and Joe was there uh, at, at the time, and I just said to him, "Joe, if any coaching opportunities come around at Liverpool, you know, I'd be grateful." I said, "I'm playing at Southport," I said, "but I'm still looking for, you know, it's part time at Southport now, but I'm looking for." You know, a coaching role. I'm trying to make that transition because I've done all my goalkeeping badges, my outfield badges over, you, you know, ten years. And my dad was always said to me, "Look, take your coaching badges, get them done. Um, you never know when you need them, and don't leave it till it's too late." So I, I listened to him, took his advice, and did all my coaching badges. And uh, the opportunity came up. Steve Iway uh, met me at, at the academy, and Joe had took me down and introduced me and um and I started on two afternoons a week working with the under eighteens and uh 
enjoyed it there and was doing a, a, a good job with a couple of the other, uh, Graham Lloyd and uh, Dickie Jono were the other coaches and we did a, a good job. Um, and then that went from two afternoons a week to a couple of evenings uh, working with the younger kids and then uh, overseeing all the academy, all the age groups, um, trial nights, bringing scouts in. Uh, it developed into, you know, a really, really big job. And then and that involved scouting, uh, you know, even going abroad, making decisions on on the goalkeepers, doing reports. And then uh, everyone was quite happy. So I ended up going to the reserves and working with Gary Ablett with the reserves. And then if Joe wasn't in, I'd do the first team, you know, on days and, uh, Joe wasn't well a couple of the times, so I did a couple of the first team game at Anfield. I did a first team game away at Sunderland. You know, and they were fantastic experiences. I did yeah. some with Gerard Hulier and and Rafa as well. So um, it, it again, it it really it's really really helped me along the you know my coaching path, working with those uh, kind of people. But then, as well as that, as Liverpool, I started doing coaching for England and um, doing some coach education with the goalkeeping qualifications. Uh, yeah. And I'm, there's lots of great staff on that. And then uh, that's still something that's on, ongoing that I'm still involved with the goalkeeping coach education and I've been for many years. Yeah. And how has it changed over the years? Because I've spoken to, I've spoken to quite a few goalkeepers and they all talked about how, you know, there was a period when goalkeepers got really big uh, and then you know you had to be six foot five to be a goalkeeper, and then it's it seems to be moving the other way now, and you have to just be quick, and it doesn't really matter if you're as big. It's kind of things kind of change, don't they? As, as styles of play change. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I can go back to when you can pick the ball up, when you could pick the back pass up. So mm. that's going back quite a way. <laughs> um, and then when the rules changed and things like that. So um, I, I think, I think. What's happened? I think at, at one stage when academies were built, I think the goalkeepers were ne- neglected. Uh, I really do. I think there was a lot of tension and detail went into the outfield players. And then I think it took quite a time for the academy to catch up on the goalkeeping side. You may have had eight or nine outfield coaches, two outfield coaches to every team. So whatever age group you had from under nines uh, all the way up at least two coaches and yet you'd have maybe two goalkeeping coaches for all of the all of the squads you know so again it was all we're always playing um, catch up as goalkeeping coaches and then I think the fitness coaches uh, really helped with the goalkeeping because lots of the work that you could do with the goalkeeping with the jumps with jumping work everything was measurable and I think uh I think there's lots and lots of plyometric training. I think the, the the fitness coaches. We had Julian Monk at Liverpool, who who was massive and a real big ins- inspiration and help for me on the goalkeeping side of it because uh, he took a lot of interest in it and and I think we started to develop things. Um, Steve Steve Highway was always big about uh, players had to use both feet. They had to be good outfield players. Um, and, and that was a massive, massive part of the game that they could play as an outfield player. And and I think by standing on the cop and watching Ray Clements playing goal as a kid, 
and seeing how much Ray used to be as a sweeper uh, influenced my style of goalkeeping and how I'd play by coming out the area and sweeping up. And I think that was something that came natural naturally to me as a coach to be able to uh, introduce um, lots of lots of outfield drills into the goalkeeping. Mm. Uh, and and I think the games progressed like that. But I don't. I think we were quite ahead of our time. And I had a goalkeeping coach, uh, a goalkeeper at the time called Tim Dittmer. Um Now Tim went from being a scholar to being head of the England goalkeeping coaching. Now, wow. you know, so uh, he's not the senior men's league coach, but he's in charge of the whole of the goalkeeping education program. Mm. And I think we bounced ideas off each other. Uh, I think we were quite quite advanced a lot of the time what we did and there was a lot of good goalkeepers came through the system so uh, I was lucky enough then to to meet goalkeeping coaches like uh, Jose Ochirena who was the Spanish national coach mm. and had, when I was at Liverpool and had his input um, he, he was an excellent coach uh, you, you know and I think it's just evolved I think it's the there's new techniques come in there's blocking there's spreading which is brought in from, you know, the international coaches. I mean, Pepe Reina was one of the first for, for blocking. I know we had Smeichel, but certainly at Liverpool, um, I learned so much just by being in a round and being able to watch Pepe and train with him some days. And yeah. Jersey, Jersey Dudek was, was another outstanding keeper, along with, you know, Chris Kirkland, who was, who was English at the time. And, um, you know, so... And, and uh, Scott Carson so there were some fantastic goalkeepers uh, and and the styles just started to develop more and more and the influence and the more uh, international goalkeepers that, that came around then we certainly looking at different techniques you know mm. um, but to be honest I think it's the, the change in size I think whether you're six foot five or you're six foot one now it doesn't really matter you have to be there's different types of goalkeepers there'll always be different types of goalkeepers it's just you have to be the best for your size you, you know yeah. and be able to help the team Steve Iway used to say that his goalkeeper what he looked for an academy goalkeeper was a goalkeeper that helped the, the, the outfield players they didn't have to be the biggest it didn't matter whether you were a, a short goalkeeper or not not tall but if you were could help players, um, then he didn't mind if they got chipped every so often or conceded a goal as long as he helped the team play the right way. Mm. You know, and I think that's very important when you get the backing of your of your manager, you know. Um like Rafa at Liverpool when you were with the first team always wanted the keepers to come a long way out the goal and deal with balls and cut balls out. And he said if you cost cost us one goal and 10 that you save by cutting things out, he said, then he'd take that all day long, you know. Do you know Paul Cook? Because I... I know Cookie, yeah. We were at Wigan together. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we had a couple of seasons together. Uh, you know, uh, we had a good team. We had a really, really good team there. That was the season that they went to win the Shape of Van Trophy, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's a good friend, good friend, Cookie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he could hit it, couldn't he, with his uh, with his left foot? He he was amazing when he signed for Wolves. He used to deliver balls so early. Um, 
and he'll probably be the first to tell you that he was never the fastest runner in the world, but he had a good engine and he could run all day, mm. uh, but wasn't blessed with pace. But what he had is he had an out, outstanding vision um, and could deliver balls so he could drop on a sixpence, you know. Yeah. Um, and and he was he was the things he was good at. He was he was outstanding at you know. Um, and I got a lot of respect and a lot of time for for Paul Cook. No, me too. I love him to bits. Uh, he came he came on the podcast just before he came back to Chesterfield. Uh, and w- was when he was when he was younger as a player, was he just the same as he is now? Was just full of full of life and enthusiasm and everything yeah, else. Yeah. Bit of a joker, bit of a joker, right? I mean, there was one one trip we were, um, there was a Johnny Modesty who'd, who'd signed on loan. This is going back to the to the Wigan days and we had myself, uh, Paul Jewell, Tony Kelly, uh, Paul Beasley in the car and uh, Moggsy said, listen, he said, I'm in a rush. He was on loan from Tranmere. He said, I have got to get off, he said, I've what I need to know the quickest way home. So Kooky being Kooky goes to me. Right, he says. Right, we said he said, follow us. Mogsy, follow us, we'll take you the quickest way, no problem. You know, so he's like he's really grateful. He's gone, yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much. So anyway, we're in our car, he's in his car on his own, and Kooky says, Yeah, turn left here, we're coming out the ground. And we turn left and he goes, Right, turn right. He must have took us round every side street in Wigan, right, for 25 minutes before poor <laughs> Muggsy clocked on that, like, we weren't going anywhere. So never mind being, like, early for where he was going. He, he never got out, away from uh, within about uh, about a mile of the ground for about 30 minutes. So <laughs> we're all giggling away in the car, and then he realises, doesn't he, and he's off, and he's, uh, you know. But, like, yeah, so he's always always good laugh, always... Um, Mate, uh, having a bit of fun. I remember uh, in egging Paul Julon to chip me in the warm up and things like that, you know, before games and that kind of stuff. So, and he always used to chip like this. He, he was good at chipping the keepers and stuff like that, Kooky. So he used to like that. But when he played and when he crossed that line, he was always serious, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sounds like he's not changed. No, he's, he's, you know, he's uh, done really well as a manager. So, yeah, and he's really found his home with us. So we hope he's here for many, many years. Uh, so, so finally, just to finish off, kind of, you're obviously at Chesterfield between what March and a playoff final uh, back in 1995. What's kind of your presiding memories of time at Chesterfield? Um, great set of players, uh, fearless. The well organised, well disciplined, great staff, uh, and had fanatical supporters that loved the club and would do anything for the club and die hard. And I, I know at Wembley there was only one team and one set of supporters on the day, you know, and the supporters were amazing. Uh, and that to me, apart from you know the what happened to bees is my memory of a of a really really fantastic time and probably one of the best uh, times in in my career for such a short space of time you know and uh, as I say the only downside of it was what happened to bees mm. well it was great that you were there to 
uh, to help us over the line and 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 get the promotion that we deserved. So, uh, so thanks for getting us over the line. I suppose. Well, just nice to be part of it. I mean, you know, when you look at look at the the squad and everybody, it was meant to be. So, hope um, good times come back again, and uh, hope Chesterfield keep getting promoted and end up where they where they deserve to be. <laughs>